Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to DDP Snake Pit. And, of course, we couldn't do it without a pair of Hall of Famers. Jake the Snake Roberts, how are you, man? Wonderful, man. Excited to be here. And, of course, we couldn't do it without the man himself, DDP. Dallas Page, what's going on, dude? Dude, just happy to be here with the snake, man. And people have been trying to get me to do a podcast forever. And then snake kind of convinced me, let's just do it. And, uh, we, once we knew we had you on board, Conrad, what is this? Number eight. <laughs> yeah. Number eight. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> it was the deal closer. <laughs> what the hell. He must know what the hell he's doing with this shit. Well, we're excited to be here. And, uh, by now everyone listening to this has seen the resurrection of Jake, the snake. And if you haven't, you should check it out on Amazon, but that's not really where you guys story started. And we've all heard the story of how Dallas used to run nightclubs and then one day became a manager and then eventually got a late start becoming a wrestler. But that's not really the full story, right? Dallas. Yeah. It kind of started way before that. Um, you know, I actually tried to wrestle back when I was 23 years old and I had three matches. Um, you know, I hurt my knee it put me out uh, for about a month and I got a chance to run this little rock and roll bar. And I've been in the bar business at that time for about six years. And I got a chance to run this little rock and roll bar. And I kind of got swept away from the, with the booze, the broads and the party and kind of forgot about the dream of going back to wrestling. And then WrestleMania happened. And this is 1979. Wow. When I run uh, my three matches and then going into the eighties, WrestleMania happened and, you know, wrestling blew up huge. And I was so pissed that I didn't pay my dues that I stopped watching wrestling and years would go by. And I was down in Fort Myers, Florida, running a place called Norma Jean's dance club, 1986. And I was flicking the channels and I came across gorilla monsoon. And that's actually the guy who gave me the name Tito Torres, uh, who was a, a job guy, and he ended up training me and a guy named John Shipley. Uh, bottom line is, is Gorilla was on. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch a couple of minutes. And I see this guy with a boa and a crazy pair of sunglasses and a do-rag, leather coat, and I'm like, who is this guy? It's Jesse Ventura. And I'm like, man, this guy's amazing. And the first guy to come through the curtain got a bag over his shoulder. And you got the Fu Manchu with the long hair. And I'm like, who is this cat? Because to me, Jake had swag before people talked about swag. The way he approached the ring was like, he would, you know, shit was on. So he it immediately captivated me. But then when I saw his work in the ring and then heard him cut a promo, like I literally called my buddy, John Shipley, who I originally started, you know, started to train to be a wrestler back when I was 23. And I called him up and I go, bro, I know wrestling's a work. I, I mean, I know it's, it's predetermined all that, but I'm watching that guy, Jake, the snake Roberts, like, man, I can't see through that guy's shit. I go, they, like, he's amazing. It, it's not like 
partial work, partial shoot, is it? <laughs> and he said, stop being a mark. But that's what Jake had literally, you know, that's what I took from it. His reality version of wrestling. And probably, a, I don't know, about six months later, I've got this huge club. It's not huge, but it holds about a thousand people and it's packed. And it's a Saturday night and I'm in my office and I see up on the monitor, you know, we have a front door and a back door. So I'm watching. I just happen to see someone walk in who just fills up the whole monitor. So I look down and, and I go, no way. And I, the club's two packed. So I run around the outside of the club. I come running in the front door. I go, Judy, did a guy walk in here look like Jake the Snake Roberts? She's like, yeah, Paige. Everybody thinks it's him. So I run in there, see Jake and slow down. Cause you know, you gotta be cool. Can't just fanboy on, on uh, <laughs> Snake Man. <laughs> So I, so I, I, I work my over way over towards him, and at some point I go, "Hey man, you Jake the Snake Roberts? Who wants to know? <laughs> the guy who runs this place. <laughs> yes. What can I do for you? What are we drinking? And me and Jake got pretty hammered that night. But that's my. Do you remember that night at all? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's your version? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's basically the way it happened. And, yeah, uh, there were a few other things involved, but we don't need to talk about them. <laughs> yeah, but back, back in those days, back in those days, you know, I I wasn't running the straight and narrow, and uh, you know, it was party time, man. The the, the show was over, and uh, it was time to get right. You know, and people don't understand that when you come out of that ring, man, you've got so much energy and, and so much stuff running through you. There's no way you can go right to the hotel and lay down and go to sleep. Right. There's nobody in the world that can do that. So you got to have an outlet. My outlet was uh, cocktails and uh, party favors and the occasional misguided lady. And Jake, at that point, you know, uh, you know, he told because, of course, I'm not going to charge him. You know, so I wouldn't he, have went in. Yeah, he he ended up telling all the boys, you know, like so. Yeah, you work Miami and then you work Tampa. That's three hundred miles, and Fort Myers is right there in the middle. So he just started, you know, let the boys know because next thing I know, Luke from the Bushwhackers is there. Ted DiBiase. Uh, I remember when uh, Janetti and Michaels uh, came through, and yeah, that was a bad night. <laughs> it was it was it was a party central man and guys got to really uh to let go and what it did for me because i did all my own radio commercials back then so i might throw into a oh yeah hot legs uh, dig it thousand dollars cash and prizes oh yeah yeah i might just throw one of the boys i could do hulk back then really good and and ventura and a bunch of the guys and I just throw them in commercials. So people didn't know if they were really doing them or not. And they'd seen them for real. So it kind of gave the club a, a different level of credibility. So Jake, what was your first impression of DDP? I mean, if you've never met Dallas in real life, he's not a small man and he's got a big personality. No, he, no, he wasn't a small man and he had a, he had a strong personality and he had a voice that could be heard. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always like a guy to look in the eye and he'll look in the eye, you know, he didn't back off. He didn't shy away. And he wasn't bullshit either. 
you know, and that's, that's the big thing because, you know, the last thing you want to deal with is somebody that's just over the top in your face. Hey man, what happened in this match? What happened in that match? You, you don't want to talk wrestling. You want to, you want to set it aside for a while. And uh, it, it might be unfair for the fans that, that come up to me, but man, at that time, you're wanting to come down. You don't want to keep rolling that way. And of course, when you get people like that, then there's always one guy in the crowd, usually the shortest guy there that wants to, Hey man, I bet I could take you, you know? And that was a great thing about going to Dallas's club is that we didn't have to watch our backs. Right. You know, uh, we knew we were safe and that, uh, nothing silly or nothing, uh, mean was going to happen to us. And, um, that that's, that's comfort zone. Yeah, and it just uh, it opened up more, you know, from my memory of wanting to be a wrestler, you know, had to stem like where it ended up going from the guys coming in and and uh, Jake and, you know, Jake came in probably about two or three times. So we we knew each other more like bar buddies, you know, absolutely. Um, but it's what got my brain clicking that one night I'm, you know, walking around cashing the cash registers out and. My uh, my my DJ this is after hours is is playing girls just want to have fun. And I'm just collecting the drawers. And we had like, you know, 12 bartenders. And uh, I just looked up at that screen to myself and said, rock and wrestling. I should have been a part of that. And that's what got me talking that night about wrestling and, uh, you know, how it all came together. I mean, how I d- developed Diamond Dallas Page just talking smack in the back with my bartenders drinking. And, uh, yeah, that's where diamond Dallas page completely came from. And, uh, you know, later on, you know, after I made a videotape and sent it to the AWA, uh, like never really thinking something's going to happen with it. And it did. And next thing you know, I'm on ESPN and then doing Florida championship wrestling and then WCW, and after seven months, they wouldn't let me manage anymore. So I'm down the power plant training to be a wrestler. Well, they, they couldn't have you managing, man, when you were bigger than your talent. Well, <laughs> I've been doing it for years. I just do that leg spread thing. Yeah, right. But 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 that's where, you know, one night, uh, now, what happened? You came in to work with Sting, didn't you? No, I, I seen you again when you came to the to the Marriott. Where was that at? Gwinnett. Oh, you came, okay. came over to the Marriott. Right, right, you right. heard that I'd split with my wife. No, that was after. That was after. You had already come in. I was at the power plant. You're right. You're right. Right. And you come in. And right. I again, he knows who I am, but I'm just a bar guy from Florida. But he had must might have seen me around. That's right. Yeah, whether it was AWA or Florida Championship Wrestling or something. And he came in to work with Sting. I didn't know it at the time, but he came down to power plant and all of a sudden I hear Paige and I turn around. I go, Jake, came down. He goes, he's like, you know, he's like, dude, I, I, I thought that was, you, but I wasn't really sure. And, and then we just, you know, we, we reunited now it became a little bit different because I was uh, running with uh, me and Kevin Nash were together as the Vegas connection. So <clears throat> now that Jake's coming in to work with Sting, and he thought it was going to turn into a, a really good contract. Uh, but Bill Watts would come in later, and those two did not get along wow. at all. Um, but, no good 
But we, Kevin Nash, may you know, and me, we would be like, you want to? We'll get the car, Jake. We'll get the bags. We just wanted to learn at the foot of Yoda, you know. And uh, it, you know, we ended up, uh, uh, you know, really spending some serious time together on the road. Remember when, when we got the car? The car out? Yeah. <laughs> what a rip that was, Rick Rude. You son of a bitch. God bless him, man. Yes, yes. Rick Rick Rude had a, what was it? Was like an Impala '64 Impala, beautiful mint condition, man. And uh, we're, I was driving Jacksonville, Florida, and Kevin's next to me. Jake's in the back. We got a case of beer, and we're freaking just going down I-10, which is completely black. And the uh, the car, the little generator light came on. Not good. And I was like, "Whoa, what the hell happened? The car just shut off." And then I reached over and I turned it, and turned back on. Jake goes, "Stop screwing around." I go, "I'm not screwing around." The red light came on. So, you know, go a little farther. Red light came on again. Now the car dies. And we're, in, we're on uh, I-10, you know, heading back towards Atlanta. And it's pitch dark. Oh, man. And we, you know. One we in the morning. Pull the, pull the, uh, the, the, the hood up. And neither, none of us know anything about cars. You know, so we're acting like we're looking and trying to look around and nothing. And then I look up and I go to Kevin, I go, Where'd Jake go? You go, he just started walking and he disappeared into the abyss. So we can't leave the car there. And who's going to pick, pick up 6664 and Kev 610? You know, nobody's going to stop and see how we're doing. So me and Nash just pulled off on the side of the road and we're drinking the beer. And about three hours later, here he comes with a Big, well, I think one of the biggest tow trucks I've ever yeah, seen. It was for it was for eighteen wheelers. <laughs> yeah, he's in the front. He's got a beer. He toasts us as he's driving up, and uh, we end up uh, the the tow trucks going to take the car. Well, those three guys were in the front seat. There's no room for me, so I'm laying in the back of the Impala as we pull into. The land of the Copenhagen Dippin' Coupon Clip and Draft Beer Drinking Rednecks. Yeah. And there must have been 40 of them yeah. at 4.30 in the morning. They made a few phone calls and got all the boys down there. <clears throat> oh, God. that was We were there for a while doing an autograph and photo section. And we got back to the hotel just enough time to take about an hour's sleep and then hop the plane the next day. And Rick Rude eventually got his car back. <laughs> Bastard. So now I'm curious from your perspective, you know, uh, when you start meeting Jake, the snake and some of these other guys coming into the bar, when do you start watching wrestling again and getting the itch of, Hey, what if to carry me through this? As soon as I saw Jake, as soon as I saw him, it pulled me back in. Like I feel like I think that I tried to get out, but they sucked me back in again. And, uh, you know, it was the eighties and, and wrestling was huge at the time you know red 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 hot these guys were doing how many days did you do straight jake i i did ricky steamboat 93 days straight nine and and that's two days twice on saturday twice on sunday it was crazy you know you do you do la at two o'clock san diego at seven or you do omaha at two o'clock in des moines iowa at seven it was rough man and i remember having to have my wife come on the road because I was so beat up and dinged out that I could barely talk. 
And back then they used to give us a stack of tickets at TV. This thick, you had paper tickets. And I'd just go to the airline and I'd just stick them up on the desk and I'd find one. You know, I can't do it. Because my mind just wasn't thinking, man. She had to, she went on the road with me for about two weeks. Because I just got to the point that I couldn't even talk. But it's crazy because even that bad, when that bell rings, you're back on. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. You know, and, and, and watching that, Conrad, you know, and seeing, I mean, I was a fan. I, uh, you know, go, to go back to that story that night when I said, I, you know, rock and wrestling, I should have been a part of that. My, my buddy Smokey comes, you know, in, you know, where all the bartenders are, we're all drinking. He's like, Page J, because my dad worked with me occasionally. And he went by Page One. I've never liked Page Two. So he, Dallas was a nickname to me as a little kid. And, uh, so he's like, Page J, um, what do you mean rock and wrestling? You should have been a part of that. I never told anybody about it. And I said, well, I tried it when I was a kid. And he was like, you, you were a wrestler? What was your name? And I said, Handsome Dallas Page. And he went, whew, you forget about using that gimmick anymore. <laughs> and everybody laughed. And, and then I just started thinking that night. And, you know, I'm too old to be a wrestler. I'll be a manager. And. And literally, I'm just spitballing. I'm getting drunk. And, and I come up with Diamond Dallas Page. I go, Jimmy Hart's got the Hart Foundation. I could have the Diamond Exchange. Woo, shot, shot, drink. Now the shots are out. And, you know, the, all of us are on a roll. Because that's when the bar business is over. That's when we really start drinking. So me and Jake, we were, like, probably very close to each other. If I'd have gotten into business when I was 20. We'd both be dead. Yeah, we probably wouldn't be here right now, yeah. you know? Because back then, I, I would go. And I would go to whatever far you were going to go to. And going with him would be a mistake. <laughs> you know, trying to go head-to-head, you know, partying. And at some point, I say to my crew, I'm like, you know, there's not a lot of really good looking women in wrestling. Now, Miss Elizabeth, she's beautiful, but she's like girl next door beautiful. I said, what if I had a whole stable of ladies? I called them diamond dolls and they were stripper hot. And Smokey goes, oh, that'll be a stretch. Woo, shot, shot, drink, drink. And so it's the end of the night, you know, four in the morning. You know, it's the last of us are getting up. And I go, you know, diamond dolls, Paige, my wrestlers at a diamond exchange. I've got the diamond dolls. That is B A double D bad. And I just, did I, did I steal that from somebody? And I wrote it down. All these things I wrote down. So yeah. it was kind of like, <clears throat> I always tell people, <clears throat> excuse me, just don't think it, ink it. And about a week or so later, there was a, um, a th- place called the party news network, a little cable show in, uh, down in Southwest Florida. And they wanted to do, a story on the voice and that's you know from thursday thursday th- you know synthesizer voices to oh yeah like the boys coming on and you know but it was me they wanted to know like where does the voice come from so they fill me in my 62 pig cadillac they fill me at the at the uh uh at the studio i'm wearing 
a WrestleMania t-shirt. I'm a fan, you know? And at some point in the interview, they, they say, uh, you know, so where does the voice come from? And I'm sitting in that desk and in front of me, it says everything. And if there's, if there's not a pair of white sunglasses sitting there, Conrad, I don't know if we're here, but they were. And I grabbed them and I put them on and I went, the voice comes from Diamond Dallas Page, did it? I was born to be a professional wrestling manager. It's big, it's bad, it's Norma Jean's voice. And then I took them off. And that was the end of it. In fact, just talking to him. And at some point, about a week later, someone had seen it, a guy named Smitty. And he wants me to come on and do his radio show. And I'm like, dude. I don't really do it. It was just me, you know, playing around. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's radio. And besides, I'm going to have Captain Lou Albano on. And girls just want to have fun as Captain Lou Albano. Right. So I'm like, Captain Lou Albano is going to be on the show. Do I get to talk to him? He's like, yeah, I want you to be my expert. So I'm like, I'm in. And the show went good. And then we did it again with Sergeant Slaughter. And that's when... Smitty says to me, go, you got to do something with this Diamond Dallas Page guy. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's just in my head. It's just an idea. He said, I got a buddy of mine used to be a promoter in boxing. Now he's promoting uh, in the AWA. You should send him a tape. I'm like, a tape of what? He's like, you'll figure it out. And I put together three wrestlers, Big Bad John, Rock Hard Rick, and Ted E. Bear, he was a midget. <laughs> and, <God. laughs> and of course, he came out with the Diamond Dolls. And I sent that videotape to the AWA. And two weeks later, they called me. And never would have happened except for Paul E. Dangerously, a.k.a. Paul Heyman, left the AWA, went to the NWA, left a huge void for a young guy that could talk. So this guy, Rob Russell, calls me up. And he says, I'm looking for Diamond Dallas Page. I'm like, uh, no one's ever asked for him before. Uh, yeah, you're talking to him. Uh, can I help you? And he's like, we want to bring you in for a tryout. We uh, want to bring you and your boys in, into Vegas. We like your shtick. But we got one question. No one's ever heard of you guys. Where are you working? And I was like, well, Rob, truth Hearts is. unknown. Right. Hearts <laughs> unknown. None of those guys can wrestle. And... Uh, He's like, what did you even call us for then? I was like, well, it's kind of like a secret society, like figuring out no one else how to get into wrestling. And he's like, well, don't call us. We'll call you. And because Paul Heyman left two weeks later, they needed a young guy that could talk and they brought me in. So it was kind of like the planets aligned it up for me, but having the creativity and the belief that it could happen, like it could happen. And, that's how I got in as a manager. And, you know, there wasn't over that period of time. I don't remember running into you, Jake. Yo, no, no. Again, we didn't see each other again until, until, until I was actually in the ring. Yeah. And the only reason I was in the ring was because they, Magnum TA comes up to me and he tells me, I'm, I'm managing the Freebirds then. I'm managing a Scott Hall, who's the diamond stud. It, before there was Razor Ramon, there was a diamond stud and sure was. TA came up to me and he's like, listen, D uh, can't let you manage anymore. We're still going to let you do color with Eric Bischoff. Like we're fourth string color commentator and play by play guy. Uh, he's like, 
we can't let you manage anymore because I'm like, why? What did I do wrong, man? I'll fix it. He's like, yeah, you really can't. You know, the clothes, the hair, the bling, the rap. You're just taking too much attention away from the boys. And Scott Hall had warned me about it. And I didn't understand it. I understood it right then, then. And yeah. I, I said to him, I was like, Magnum, are you telling me I'm too over the top for professional wrestling? You know, and he still started, is. <laughs> and he started laughing. <laughs> and he said, uh, hey, you know, what we should have done was put you in a pair of tights and boots and see if you could do this. And uh, right there, I had seven months left of my contract, man. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And that's where Jake and I come back into each other's life. And we spent, you know, for three months, I was out with him. Every day that he was there, I was out with him, me and Kevin both. And then all of a sudden he disappeared because of the oh, conflict right. with Watts. And then I tore my rotator cuff. Yep. And, and you called me up and... Uh, well, you, you came over to see me. Right, right, right. Because I, unfortunately, split up with my wife again. And uh, he came over to, to the hotel. He says, dude, man, what are you doing staying here? I said, man, I got to live somewhere. You know? And um, hard times right now. And he's like, well, why don't you come over to my place and stay with me? I'm like, dude, I can't do that. And he's like, no, no, no. You help me, I, I help you. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I was like, I, I got my arm in a sling because I had torn my rotator cuff, but it was towards the end of it. Yeah. And then I was starting my rehab and I was like, man, I cannot wait to get in the ring with you to learn from you. And he's like, listen, you know how to do the moves. You know what to do out there. You just don't know when to do it, why to do it. And you're going to learn more sitting on the couch watching the, the film because you I film my matches every night. Like no one ever did that back then. No. And and we and he said we we're gonna learn more sitting here watching your match, me critiquing it. And that Jake did he watched some brutal matches. <laughs> I used to drive him crazy by asking him why you did that. Uh, <laughs> why did you do that right there? And well, it just seemed like no, no, no. What should you have done? I wouldn't tell him what to do. I'd make him figure it out. Yeah, that, that was the interesting part. Yeah, that's that's the key to, to learning, man, is, is figuring it out yourself. I mean, if I put a math problem down and I walk you through it, it's done. I did it. You figure it out. But it takes time. You know, and it's all about attitude, man. It's all about projecting yourself. And you don't look at the camera. You look through the camera. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but that's what you do. Same thing if you're in an arena. You don't look out at one person in the crowd because if you do that, you're ignoring the other thousands. You've got to be able to pan the audience and make them think they're the ones I'm talking to. And if you can connect like that, you got them by the short hairs, and then you can walk where you want to, and they'll follow and Jake got me booked like at what was really oh my god like Jake got, <clears throat> goes no I don't oh. have a job you know I, I'm an independent wrestler right now with you know a fraction of a name I wrestled for maybe you know seven months before I tore my rotator cuff um, so it wasn't like I was in any kind of demand uh, and they don't pay no money but Jake would get me booked on. 
different gigs. And I remember one time he put me over so strong. Like he said, you know, he put me over so strong. And after he hung up, I was like, Jake, I go, you can't put me over like that. I go, I can't deliver that. And he basically told me, listen, you know what to do out there. You just, that's just going to come through reps. And you, 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 you literally have the ability. You're this, this thing you're, you have, he said, you have the ability to be one of the top guys in our business. You got to start believing that though. Cause that's one of the first people that ever said that to me when it came now it's Jake snake Roberts. Like he's not lying to me. He's going to no. tell me where I suck. Like he's going to shoot on and me. I did. No, you did a lot. Know, a lot. <laughs> but but he, that initial belief yeah. of, and that's where it's so crazy because what would happen 20 years later, you know, would me switching it around to him yeah. and about the belief. And, you know, and, and I had this, when we walk him into the Hall of Fame, I had this exactly what I wanted to say. And I thought it was one of the best inductions I ever could have done for him. But something I ad-libbed was never underestimate the power you give someone by believing in them. Even more important, never underestimate the power you give yourself by believing in you. And so true. It's so something true. he gave me. Dusty would give it to me again later on a different level, different kind of over different things, not work in the ring. But he made me start to believe that I really could be that, you know, at least a mid card guy. Cause I didn't have any, you know, dreams of world championship or any of that stuff then. You yeah, know? Dusty gave that to you. Yeah, he gave me that spot. You know, but it sure was some fun, man. Uh you know, and it it made me feel so good that him and Nash wanted to ride and just wanted to pick my brain. And and that's still something I still like doing. You know, I'm at AEW now. I, these young kids down there, I love them to death, even though it is Circus Soleil in a ring. But, you know, it's different, but it's still the same. You know, the, the things that I can teach you, you can use, still use today. And uh, but when him and Nash, you know, would, would let me ride with them or I'd, they, they weren't ride with me, it made me feel really, really good and made me feel valued. Needed. Yeah. And don't we all want to feel needed, man? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wanted to circle back to something you said a minute ago, Jake, you said the yeah. why you were watching Dallas's tapes and you'd say, now, why did you do that? And when people huh? fans hear a lot about the psychology of wrestling, but said mm -hmm. a plainer way, the psychology of wrestling is really the why, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the timing of it, you know, and that's what a lot of people never get. You know, I was very fortunate to learn what I did. Why I do not know. Um, I tell you, I, I've done a lot of thinking on this. And, uh, you know, my, my beginnings weren't too good. And um, I went through some pretty bad stuff as a kid. And as a kid, I had to learn how to read people. You know, I had a, a stepmother in my life that was pretty brutal and did some really horrible things. And, um, I had to be able to read that woman when she came into the room, because if I didn't, I went the wrong way, then I was going to be punished or worse. So I had to learn. And then I also had to learn how to lie. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I had to learn how to lie to protect myself, to save my own ass. Well, 
aren't interviews just a lie? I mean, you, you come up with these ideas and you go out there and you throw them on television. Well, it's not all true. It's not real, but you got to make them believe it is. And the only way you do that is by your delivery. Now, obviously, you can't scream at your stepmother because she's going to beat your ass. So it's got to be quiet. It's got to be, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. You know, and, and play that little game. And uh, so I guess, you know, I have her to thank for some of that. But I won't. <laughs> right. I, I love exactly. that you uh, you sort of tee up the, the tone of voice. Because back in the yeah. 80s, you know, everybody started hot, whether it was yeah. Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair, you know, they're screaming at the yeah. camera and that's yeah. what people yeah. talk about, but man, you right. would just bring it down so much. And it draws in the viewer where you just wait, well, this does. is different. And you find yourself leaning into it. Uh, did anybody yeah. sort of go over that with you or did you just learn that from your no, childhood? I, I think I did that myself and I'll tell you why, because I learned a long time ago, if you're yelling at somebody, they're not listening. Right. You know, you walk into a crowded room. And you start screaming at the people in that room and they're going to like, screw them. But if you walk in that room and you tap somebody, you go, hey, I have a secret to tell you. Right. Everybody <laughs> in the room, leaving over there to hear it. And, and that's where I got that from. And then, you know, I, one of my best interviews, people always say, what was your best interview? Well, my favorite interview of all time was I told the cameraman that, you know, back in those days, we were doing 70 or 80 interviews back to back to back. And I had the nickname of one take Jake. <laughs> Other words, you don't have to redo this because I'm going to nail it the first time every time. And uh, I, I used to get bored doing these interviews. And I'd always ask Cameron, give me something to go with. And they'd say uh, spaghetti. And I'd do an interview around spaghetti and make it come out right somehow. I don't know how, but it just did. Reps. <laughs> yeah, reps. <laughs> Absolutely. And then. I thought of this idea. I thought, okay, you guys hit it. And when they hit it, I just started moving my lips. The camera guy goes, all right, Jake, we're not getting that. I'm like, no shit. No shit. You know you're not getting it? Because I'm not saying anything. Just roll it. So they rolled it, and I kept my lips moving for about 30 seconds. And then I stopped, and I smiled. So now... Lean over and tell your son that I can't make you get up and fix a TV that's not even broken. That's how much power I have over you. I can jerk you around like a puppet. Tell your wife hello. <laughs> and that was the end of the interview. I got, Christ, I got, the I got off that. <laughs> Holy shit, McMahon called me out. What the hell are you doing? We're getting these letters in. I didn't do anything, man. <laughs> but people hated it that I actually made them get off their asses and try to fix something that wasn't broken. It's the power of suggestion. What isn't happening here? What's going to happen? You know, there's much more thrill in the chase than there is the capture. Once you've captured it, it's over. It's sort of like the guy that goes out with a girl and right off the bat, he winds up sleeping with her. It's over, man. He's looking for somebody else now, you know, it's all about the chase. Yeah. So Dallas, what is it about Jake's approach to wrestling that made you so enamored with it? You know, you, if you tried this in 79, which was new information to me, I had no idea before today that that was the beginning of your career or, or your interest in wrestling, but you said you called John Shipley, your original trainer. Hey, what about this Jake guy? 
was it his cerebral approach? Was it something he did in the ring? What was it that drew you to Jake? Well, uh, Shipley was the guy I actually started wrestling with and Tito Torres was the, the trainer of us and he spoke broken English. So <laughs> I couldn't even really call him and say anything to him. Uh, but I just called John up just, you know, because man, I couldn't see through his shit. And Jimmy Yang, remember Jimmy Yang? Yeah, yeah. When Jimmy Yang was 15, they used to come down. They they lived near me, and this whole crew would come by every day. I didn't know they came by every day. I would have them putting up Christmas decorations, taking them down, all at 15 years old. And uh, one day he says to me, he said, you know why we're such huge fans of yours? And he's 15, right? I go, no, Jimmy, tell me. And he says, we can't see through your shit. And like all these things that were huge to me were things I took away from him. Like if you watch my character in a the ring, there's subtleties that I flat out stole from him, but made them my own. And that's what he told me to do. He's like, find the people that you really identify with. Like there's a little bit of savage in me. There's a little bit of perfect in me. There's a little bit of Terry Funk, you know, earlier. Louie. And what? And Louie. And Louie. Private joke. Private joke. But, uh, you know, he, I mean, took the time to really go through the psychology of it. Because when I watched him in the ring and that right in the beginning, it pulled me in. I couldn't see through his shit. And he see, it seems so believable. And if you go back to our era, you know, in the nineties, we, everything was based on reality, you know, and that's, that's how I love it the most. I think Cody Rhodes brings a lot in AW, AW, um, bringing it is close to reality. And there are now you got punk back and, you know, Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson, you know, a lot of these guys are, are on that crew are really, focusing on bringing it back to reality based and uh you wrestling works the best when you don't know what's real yes let me let me me tell you something wrestling fans aren't stupid they understand that it's not real they don't like that yeah they don't want to feel like they came into arena and paid their good money to watch a bunch of crap they want to see guys out there. I mean, I love it when a fan comes up to me and says, Jake, you know, I know it's all phony stuff, but man, that time with Rick Rude, the boy, you were pissed, man. You wanted to kill that son of a bitch. You sure are right there, buddy. And that's always always my challenge in my mind was to convince those fans at ringside that it is real. Now, how do you do that? Well, you never destroy your own credibility. Right. Because once you destroy your credibility, that fan writes you off. They put a big X on your name. Oh, phony. Push him aside. Now, how do you do that? Well, you don't go in the ring and do things that you can't do perfect. That's what I told him. I said, don't do 80 different things. Do five different things that you do absolutely perfect. People cannot see through no matter how hard they try. Because then they believe in you. And if they believe in you, they don't mind spending their money on you. They don't mind coming to see you because they know that Diamond Dallas Page is going to kick somebody's butt. 
And guys will go out there and they'll do 99 things perfect, but that hundred thing stinks a little bit or just a little bit off. And I guarantee you that fan goes, oh man, there you go. He's another one of them. Uh, screw him. I'm not paying any more attention to him. I kind of compare it to like the guy that had been married for 20 years. Okay. And uh, Jake comes to town and Jake takes him out and I get him drunk and he winds up sleeping with a midget. <laughs> Now he goes home and he feels so bad because he's never cheated on his wife. He loves her, loves her to death, man. He feels so bad that, damn it, there's only one thing to do. I got to get it right. I got to tell her. So he goes to her and he says, baby, you know how much I love you? She says, yeah, I know. Well, honey, last night that damn Jake got me drunk. I wound up sleeping with a midget. But I'll never do that again. Do you think she believes him? No. No. He destroyed his own credibility. She doesn't even believe he's never cheated before. She doesn't believe in anything that he says now because he destroyed his own credibility. Why in the hell would you want to do that? You don't. And that's so that's my biggest bitch today with the guys out in the ring is they they're such a phenomenal athletes. I mean, they're, they're a hundred times more than an athlete than I ever, ever was, or ever thought about being actually. They're incredible, but they do things that aren't quite right. And it just kills them. Or they get busted up or hurt, crippled. So my story is less is more. Yeah. Less is definitely more. Jake, Jake used to tell me all the time, because then we started, you know, we started hitting the road and, and going out and doing, and we did a tour of the Philippines and Singapore. Austria. Austria, you know. <laughs> Mexico. LA. Ooh, that was a good one. You know, we, we started going out, and when, whenever he'd watch my work, he'd, he'd always throw back in my brain, think, shoot, but work. Yeah. Think, shoot, but work. You know, and, you know, Scott Hall said it to me, you know, a hundred times, and and Jake would, again, reverb that into my brain. When you think you're going too slow, slow down. <laughs> slow down. You're going too fast. I, I know you feel like you should be going faster. Like, no, let the let it sink into the people. And this is all like when I'm literally in the infancy stages of, of trying to figure, you know, the shit out and trying a, a million different gimmicks and the whole deal. And then we're about three months in and Jake has got me, I have to get myself booked, but he's got John Arizzi, right? Yeah. Like, John Arizzi's doing the tour of Singapore and the Philippines. And <clears throat> I got to go down and call him. You know, he wants to call me back. He wants to talk to me. So as I, as I'm in my bedroom, I'm hearing Kimberly laughing. And as I walk down, they what the hell are they laughing at? And I start walking down the hall to where the living room is. And Jake's got this 12 foot black Cobra and he's got the glove and hold on to the snake. And, and she's laughing. Like I didn't even tell the snake was in the house. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking if they're laughing, I'm just going to keep walking. <laughs> yeah. So I, I go in, I get on the phone oh, with a Rizzy. I'm talking to a Rizzy for a while. And he finally books me for good money for me yeah, at the time. And uh, so we get, we get booked uh, as I come out, nobody's in the living room anymore. 
And here comes Jake walking down the stairs. He's like, big problems, big problems, big problems. I go, no, bro, give me a high five, man. I got booked. He goes right by me. No, big problems, big problems. I go, what do you mean big problem? He goes, snake's gone. I said, what do you mean the snake's gone? Well, I put him in the bathroom. I put him in the tub. He has to cool the snake down. And I come back here. He's not in there. I go, what do you mean he's not back in He's not back in there. He's like, I, I, I go, you bullshitting me. I stop bullshitting me. He's like, I'm not bullshitting you. Snake's gone. His wife had left. Yeah, she, she's up in the bedroom going, getting, going, probably going to sleep by this time. So Mo, Larry, and Curly, we got Mo and Larry looking in the door, both how do you feel about snakes? I'm terrified of them. Shoot. Like yeah, most people don't know that. Aurelian Smith is afraid of snakes. Yeah. That camera's on and he's Jake Steak Roberts. He'll slap the hell out of a snake. Yeah. Not care. You know, right through yeah. on its face. And you've seen him do it. You know, like different mindset. Two different people there. Definitely. So right now, he's William Smith. And I'm freaking Paige Joseph Falkenberg. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm afraid of death. Of snakes, too. I don't want to get this. And they had cats. <laughs> and we got cats. So we look in there, and there's no snake. And it's a little small bathroom. It's got a little shower in it, a little vanity. And uh, he goes in, he looks around. He looks around. He goes. And then he leans down, and he smacks the vanity. And you hear. <laughs> you know, because snakes go. <laughs> and what do cobras do? <laughs> and he gets he gets up. He goes, he'll be okay. He'll come out. I go, what do you mean he'll come out? He goes, I got to go. I got to go to meet this girl. I'll be back. I'm, I, I just wanted out of the house before yeah. his wife came out. He goes, I'll be, out of, I'll be back in the morning. I go, what do you mean you'll be back in the morning? Get that fucking snake out of there. He's like, bro. He goes, I promise. I'll be back here. I'll take care he of it. He wasn't just in the cab. He'd gotten into the wall. No, oh. not yet. He okay. was back. Okay. He was he was sitting in the wall. You know, when you build those uh, vanities, you know, they don't take the sheetrock all the way to the bottom because they're putting a the vanity in there. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking about. I go, what if he goes up into the walls? He's like, he's not going to go up into the walls. And so freaking now he's gone. So the cats had those levers, the, do the door handles, and the cats would jump up and open the doors. So I put two pillows in front of it and I went to bed and then I got woken up around nine o'clock in the morning and Kimberly screaming, Paige, Paige, why, is, why are there pillows in front of this door? Is that snake still in there? Got Sophie spooky. Like she's, she's flipping out. So I come out, I go, listen, it's okay to say, she goes, it's not okay. She goes, I go, he's under the vanity. He's going to come out. We're going to, Jake's going to be back here. He's going to take care of it. She's going you know that they don't put the sheetrock all the way down in front of the vanities. What if he goes up into the walls? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, what if he goes up into the walls? And I think, I go, he's not going to go up into the walls. He's going to be fine. So I just start healing on her. Yeah. She's yelling at me. I'm yelling at her. She and takes the cats. She takes the cats and leaves and leaves me there with the snake. Now, Jake said he's going to be back, but this is still... Might get lost on a crack binge for a couple of days, yeah. Jake. Yeah. And I, by the end of the night, before she comes home, I have a, a, a wrangler come, animal wrangler come, and he looks under, he sees him. We pull the board away that's in front. He's up in attack position. And the guy looks at me, he goes, has he been devenomized? I go, 
I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know. So now he's like, this is going to cost an extra. So bottom line is he got that thing, put him in the bag, and then I put him in a box, and then I put him in a box. I taped it shut, put some holes so it could breathe. But, man, Jake came back three days later. And they asked me to move out. What the <laughs> hell? I thought I was good here. Yeah. It took it took that. And she's like, I love Jake, but he's got to go. <laughs> you know, I've seen her since then, and she forgave me. Man. Oh, yeah, she's she a, did. She's she a loved great you. woman. She really, loved you. really great woman. Uh, Kimberly, I love very, very much. And he ended up eventually moving back, yeah. you know, with the wife. And yeah. I could still go up there. And Jake saying we stayed in contact all the time. And yeah. I would still go up there when I went back to WCW. And we'd bring him my matches and we'd watch the matches. And, you know, at times he didn't have anything to say. He'd just watch, you know, because I was doing okay. And then I'll never forget the day that I took a diamond cutter out of nowhere. Mm. And he just took a smoke of his cigarette. And he looked at me and he leaned over and he goes, now you're starting to get it. Because I didn't want to tell you you could do that with that. I wanted you to figure it out. Because that was the beauty of the DDT. Yep. It could come out of nowhere. Yeah. You know? And the greatest thing about the DDT and the diamond cutter is I can do a 500-pound man with it. Yeah. And never have to pick him up off his feet. (laughs) Jake, Jake, tell them the story of how you came up with the DDT. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is classic. A lot of people don't know this. People don't notice. So go ahead. I was wrestling a guy by the name of Lynn Denton, the grappler, probably one of the greatest hands that I ever got in the ring with. He was just phenomenal. He should have gotten a whole lot more than he ever did. But I was wrestling him in Louisiana. In those days, we were we were the semi. And, of course, uh, JYD and Bill Watts were the main event. Normally, they would be out of their match before we ever got our boots off. They'd go five minutes and we'd go 40. So we had to go out there and put some time in and work. And uh, we used to do a little thing with the front face lock where I'd front face lock him and work on him and work on him and work on him, turn him over, try to pin him one, two. Oh, he kicks out back to the front face lock. Back in those days, you always went back to the holes, you know, keep wrestling. So he'd finally fight his way to the feet, his feet. And out of desperation, he'd cram me into the corner, trying to get loose. And back in those days, my finish was a knee lift. So I'd crank his neck some more, and I'd fight him back out into the middle of the ring, man. The people loved it. And I'd back down to the mat. Then he'd come back up again. He'd cram me in the corner again. Well, on the third time, what we would do is I would let go, and he would stagger backwards, still bent over, and I'd just pop out of the corner, catch him with a knee lift, a short one, He'd take a bump near the ropes. I'd dive on him, cover him. One, two, foot on the ropes. Holy shit. Great deal. We put in 10 minutes doing that. Till one night in New Orleans, he crammed me in the corner. I fought him back out in the middle of the ring. He came up to his feet, started to cram me in the corner again, and he stepped on my foot. And when he did, I couldn't move my legs, so we lost balance. And we went down. Well, me being a dumb baby face at the time, I sprung my feet like, I didn't trip. I didn't fall down. I'm not sweeping. I'm not, I'm not clumsy. 
but grappler stayed down. Mm. And then I listened to the people, and people were like, oh, what was that? What was what? I just yeah. fell down. But what a great, what a huge pop. Though. Oh, my God, man. And he was smart enough to stay there. I turned him over and covered him, barely kicked out, but the people were talking about that move. Wasn't it? What, what was that? Like, uh, I don't want to call it the I tripped and fell on my butt. Uh, let's call it something else. And I come up with a name. Uh, I picked up a USA Today newspaper one morning. And on the front page, it was uh, DDT outlawed by U.S. government. Those DDT is like a name that long of some poison the farmers were using on the crops. Right. It was getting into the bloodstreams and into our food chain and it wasn't very healthy for anybody. So uh, that's where I stole that from. I've always said that a, a great person, a great successful person knows where to steal his shit from. <laughs> you know, and, uh, I mean, if you think about it, there's not many things that are really brand new these days. Yeah. We're just reinventing them. And uh, especially, you know, with, with the movers that we did today and uh it was the greatest thing I ever invented. Of course, I added the short arm clothesline to it and come up with that. And um, it was very fortunate, you know, just like he was very fortunate to come up with the diamond cutter, man. I mean, how many times has that been stolen? <laughs> A billion. And, and people, I love it. People love often it. ask me, so, well, Jake, don't you get mad at these guys that are using the DDT now for a false finish? I'm like, no, I think it's great. Because all they're telling the people is they're not half as good as I am. Because if I did it, you didn't get your ass up. That's right. And thank you for saying, thank you for calling Vince for a while. He stopped the announcers from calling it the DDT. Because it just pissed him off. The people would say, Jake, 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 you know. So Jake, he he said a minute ago, Dallas mentioned a minute ago that uh, the real life Jake, the snake is not a fan of snakes. He's scared of snakes. No, I'm terrified. You told me a story once upon a time years ago, when you first met with Vince McMahon and just to sort of, I think most of our listeners here probably were introduced to you in the WWF, but you had a whole run, a whole life before the oh, Jake, yeah. the snake character. And at the time Please you were in the book, you were pull up, uh, boots. Uh, you know, they weren't lace up boots. Yep. You had karate pants. Yep. It was a totally different yep. presentation. And then Vince yep. had this vision. Tell us that story again. For those who oh haven't my heard God. it. That's great. I love the story. <laughs> you know, I was in Louisiana wrestling mid South and, uh, Bill Watts, Dusty pulled a rib on Bill Watts and sent Terry Taylor there to be his general manager. And it was a rib. What was it a rib? But uh, Terry was the guy that you talked to, you know, to get hired and fired and about your position. So I went to him one night in Tulsa and said, man, you know, you guys are, you're booking me third match, but whenever the show comes, I'm on last. But I'm not being paid to be on last. Why not? I'm wrestling Slater every night. And we're we're the ones putting this house in here. So I need to know what the hell's going on. And Terry just told me, he said, Well, we don't really have a spot for you. I'm like, what? You don't have a spot for me. Okay, fine. Because they they were gonna keep uh Hacksaw and uh, DiBiase and Dr. Death. And then Terry was the number four guy. He was taking my position. So, okay. So I, I got so mad that I said, fine, you got my notice. Two weeks, I'm out of here. 
you know, you do things out of anger sometimes and you just dump yourself into a real bucket of shit. And uh, now I have no job. I've got a baby that's just hit the ground. And I'm like, what have I just done? I quit my job. I have no place to go. So I call New York. The girl tells me that Vince won't be back for two weeks. I'm like, holy shit. I have no job. What am I doing? You know? And uh, about two hours later, he calls back, fly to New York. So I flew up there and, and walk in the room and I sit down and he, he lets you sit there and stew, you know, he knows how to play. He, he's the greatest manipulator of all. Oh my God. But he comes in and he goes, Jake, we got this idea. We're going to dress you in purple and lime green spandex tights. I'm like, Wait a minute, man. Dude, I got skinny legs, man. I ain't going to bullshit you, you know? And, uh, Spandex isn't something I do. That's just, you know, of course, I didn't say this out loud. You know, <laughs> I ain't stupid. I'm going to hear the, hear the whole thing out. But in my mind, I'm going, ain't, that ain't happening. Right. And then he's going, and we're going to put you with lace-up snakeskin boots up to your knees. I'm like, lace-ups? And I'm thinking to myself, because I've actually figured this out one time. That's the reason I went to pull-ons. In a career. 20 years, you would spend about four and a half months of your life lacing up boots. <laughs> now, to me, that's pretty damn stupid. So I went to pull-ons. Simple. Why spend 25 minutes a day putting on the gear that you have to wear every day? You know? That's thinking, again, thinking to myself. Let me finish his story. And just at about the time I'm about ready to tell him this is stupid. I ain't doing that shit. He starts to write on a piece of paper. Then he said, and hey, we want you to carry a 15 foot Python. And before I could scream and say, no, he had the paper he, over to me. And I looked down and I went one, two, three, four, five, six zeros. Wait, that means, holy shit. <laughs> Are you serious? He goes, yep. I'm like, you know, those lace-up boots will probably help save my ankles. Mm -hmm. See, I started justifying it, see? And if you can wear lime green and purple, you got to be one tough son of a bitch. Because <laughs> people going to make fun of you. So I like that idea, too. As far as that snake goes, man, I ain't got no problem with snakes. I'm ready. <laughs> I signed it. And I know they, they tried to get me to fly back to New York to learn how to handle a snake. And I was so damn scared. I just said, Oh bro, I got it. I got it. You know, why do it? Why, why, why punish yourself? And so that first night picking that snake up was the first night I'd actually picking a snake up. And, um, I know about two years, three years into it, the snake guy came to me and goes, Jake, do you know what part of the body a snake attacks first? No, what? He goes, your eyes. Really? My eyes? What? He goes, the rapid eye movement startles them. And I've been holding the snake up here. Right. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I kind of learned as I went, you know, and uh, which was a real treat because the, the guy that, 
was getting the snakes. I, I kind of identified him as Charles Manson. He was one weird cat, man. One weird cat. He, uh, he was stranger than strange. And, uh, he didn't, uh, he came to me, he goes, Jake, the snake that's in that bag, I promise you we'll get steamboat for you. I'm like, what do you mean? Get steamboat. He goes, he's going to tear his ass up. (laughs) But I like Ricky, you know, (laughs) and he just looked at me like, you don't mean that. And he's like, no, Jake, this snake, I promise you, will bite the shit out of him. I'm like, yeah, but don't I have to pick it back up afterwards? <laughs> you know? And all I could think about was what was going to happen to me. And he was right. That snake did bite the shit out of me <laughs> several times, man. But, uh, yeah, I learned pretty quick that I didn't use boas. I used pythons. And they have long fangs, and they hurt. They really hurt. It was a real blessing when I went to the Cobra, by the way. We'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> I remember we were in we were in Singapore or Philippines. I think it was the Philippines, Manila, I think it was. And we were doing TV, me and you, because we were working against each other that yeah. day. Yeah. And big mistake I made there. And he's, I can't remember the how the damn me. snake was in the ring. I don't remember if I hit you or I can't remember what happened, but the snake goes flying and now he's on the mat and we're still going and I shoot him across and Jake snaps on a snake and, or I step on a snake and it whipped up and got him right in the calf. He sold a son of a What a performer I am. (laughs) (laughs) One of the funnier things with that snake was uh, I went on a tour in Australia and, uh, Oh, my God. Thunder Jushin Liger was on it. Well, the first day, we, I'd never met the guy. I was wanting to meet him. Big fan. And uh, I'm like, where's he at? So, well, he won't dress in this dressing room because he's, he's terrified of snakes. Wait, well, he, snakes aren't going to chase him. That brother, he's that scared. He will not even come in this locker room. Like, well, where is he? I want to go meet him. So he's on the other side of the Coliseum. What? That's bullshit. Well, I used to have a habit of putting a snake in the shower and letting him play in the shower before the match. And the reason I did it is because I didn't want anybody else to leave the building before I did. And by putting that snake in the shower, nobody would go in there and shower. You know, they'd look in there and look, I'll wait a while, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I put the snake in the shower. I go in there to get it before my match and the snake's gone. Holy shit. Couldn't find it. Well, match before mine, before and after, because after mine was Liger. He went out and wrestled. Then I went out and wrestled. Well, during my match, Liger was getting in his shower, which was across the Coliseum. Showered, and he's coming by the toilets. The snake comes up out of the toilet and looks at him. <laughs> he streaked the building naked, ran right out the back of the building into a car and left. Went to the friggin' airport and went home two weeks before the tour ended. I caught some heat for that. (laughs) (laughs) I got a better payday because he wasn't there to take the money. (laughs) The the other time we were in the Philippines and uh, there was this very famous 
a midget wrestler named oh, Mascaratus Lagrinas or yeah, something like something that. Something like that. He was one of Conan's boys. And uh and we're all in the locker room. And Jake had put Snake, and this wasn't that big a pie that was just, it was a smaller one, but because he could fit it in his back. And the Mascaritas was scared to death of snakes. So we're all just sitting there and you know, we're he comes back in from his match and he's sitting, he's sitting right in front of the bag. And we're all just acting like we're doing shit, but we're all just watching him. And he reaches his hand into the bag. We're thinking, oh my God. And then he pulls it out. I mean, he doesn't give it a chance. It's in and it's out. And he does this three times like on the third time we all just busted out laughing and he jumped up and he could not speak english no. but he said jake steak bag <laughs> he put together a whole sentence there yeah. and, i mean everybody was busting laughing <laughs> and jake went and he got the steak out of there but that was i wish i had that on film because yeah. that was one of the there were a few snake things that were pretty funny uh I remember the, the first time I got JYD with the snake, you know, and he sold it so well. And, and the thing was, is I've gotten a habit of accidentally dropping it over the side of a toilet, somebody in a toilet that were sitting down taking care of business. I just throw it over the top oh, yeah. and it land on their head. Well, I, I thought about it and I'd hear him scream and stuff and they'd come out running, but I wasn't getting to see the initial reaction. So I thought, well, I'm going to do JYD. This is going to be funny. Oh, my God. So Harley threw it over the top, and I went around the front, and I was peeking through the side of the doors, looking at JYD, taking it up. <laughs> I didn't think about him coming out of that door fast. Uh, 300 that pounds. door hit me in the face and drove me into the wall behind me. I hit my head and knocked me out, man. I'm down. And when I wake up, JYD straddled my chest. He's going, you motherfucker, you motherfucker, you motherfucker. <laughs> you picked a train to get behind yeah, the door. Yeah, not a good idea, man. Open. <laughs> it's very educational. When you first came into WCW, and that's at that point you were with the Cobra. Yeah. And everybody's like looking over. And there's about, about seven of us who were all looking behind and he's uh, opening up the crowbar. He's opening up the, the, the latch of the wood that the snake comes in. And all he did was this and threw it over his head. And here comes the cobra coming towards us. We all turned around like we were seven years old. It was fun, man. Yeah, little, little Back stunts. in the day we were doing, uh, we were doing survivor series in Cleveland and, uh, this uh we get to the building and the Cavaliers, Cleveland Cavaliers were still practicing. I was there early. And uh this guy comes to me and goes, Hey, you're that you're that Jake the Snake guy, aren't you? I'm like, Yeah. And he goes, uh, listen, he goes, uh, what would it take to get you to throw that snake into the shower with all them basketball players? <laughs> I said, get me a pair of shoes. <laughs> and the guy went and got me six pairs. Really nice Reeboks and stuff at the time. Uh, Here, take them all. Of course, I didn't look at the boxes. They're size 17, size 15. <laughs> you know, what the hell, you know? That's close to you, though. Yeah, it's close, <laughs> but not quite. But, brother, 
I took that snake in there and I slung it into the shower with those boys. Mm. And you talk about some high stepping brothers <laughs> <laughs> and them legs are going this way and that way. And there was a lot of high shrills. I don't know. It sounded like women's voices almost. <sighs> they were screaming brother. But uh, yeah, it was, there's been a few fun times with them, but it really wasn't fun, man. Some, sometime down the road, I'm going to tell you some of the bad moments from that snake. Well, we've had a lot of fun today. What a fun time this was. I don't know what our expectation was, but we have exceeded it today. I can't thank you guys enough for joining us today. We're going to be back every single week. And man, I, I don't know that uh, we've even scratched the surface, right, Dallas? No. Yeah, pretty much. Touch nothing, man. <laughs> Well, we'll see you guys next week right here on DDP snake pit. Don't forget to uh, add us to all your socials, hit the like, and subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it and we'll see you next week right here on see DDP. You know, snake see pit. Snake. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys. Right, break time. <laughs>